Welcome to The Author Show, where we feature new authors and books from fiction to self-help and everything in between. You'll find it all at theauthorshow.com. That's theauthorshow.com. And now let the show begin. Hi, this is The Author Show. I'm your host, Linda Thompson. Our book is Executive Hoodlum, Negotiating on the Corner of Main and Mean, which has been described as where corporate America, the mafia, outlaw bikers, politics, and Hollywood collide. Now are you interested in learning more? Author John Costello joins us today to talk about Executive Hoodlum, his memoir. And yes, this is his life story. John, welcome to The Author's Show. Well, thank you very much for having me, Linda. I appreciate the invite. John, will you give us a quick overview of Executive Hoodlum negotiating on the corner of Maine and Mean? Well, in a nutshell, it's a story of growing up in Chicago and Los Angeles in a, shall I say, a highly violent and if I call them dysfunctional, I guess that would probably be generous, blue-collar family, pretty much bordering on white trash, while trying to pursue a higher education and career. The story itself focuses on the relationship with my highly talented but unfortunately, a career criminal father, he had a lot of Chicago organized crime ties. He was considered a Chicago organized crime associate. Overall, the book is me attempting to better myself while starting out very poor, you know, on welfare, things like that, watching people die around me from violence, substance abuse, and other unfortunate situations, leading up to another series of unlikely events. Some are comical, some are tragic that essentially shapes the man I am today. Much of it reads like a crime story, but in fact, it's true. So whereas you're reading it, it may even sound contrived, but I try to authenticate just about everything I speak about in the book through documents and recordings and newsreels and other police records. So I guess that would be it in terms of a brief description. Executive Hoodlum is the story of your life, and it's not all pretty. Why did you choose to share your story with the world at this point? Well, let's say I was debating myself for quite a while whether to do it or not, only because of some of the sensitive nature of the things that are in the book. A few reasons, really. Number one, I wanted to get it off my chest. It's a story where certain events in my life I never really dealt with properly. So for part of it was therapeutic, I suppose. Number two, I wanted my kids to understand where they came from, their legacy, to understand that the reason they have what they have today was based on these series of events. So they weren't necessarily born into such a nice lifestyle and they have to have an appreciation for what they have. Third was my desire to help others. I was a volunteer trainer at the community center teaching kids boxing and it's very gratifying work. And I thought if I wrote a book that could inspire somebody who you know may have had the odds against them succeed in life, well then all the better. So those are essentially three reasons. Did you have any particular type of reader in mind while writing your book? Uh, it's funny you should ask that. I never really consider it much. At first, I'm thinking, is it somebody that likes true crime, but the true crime in there wouldn't really carry the story that well because those books are a dime a dozen as I see it. I was hoping to have people more in line with, a, say, a larger audience of people that would find something inspiring or at least be able to have something to compare whatever their hurdles in their life were to see how they can overcome them. So maybe somebody that was more on a motivational, inspirational end rather than somebody that's just interested in true crime and mob-related stuff. 
Larry Elder wrote that your life is, and I quote, like a walking Goodfellas movie, only far more interesting, unquote. Larry is also listed as your co-author. Who is Larry Elder and how much did he contribute to your book? Well, interestingly enough, Larry was the one that originally gave me the idea after my 50th birthday party. He's a friend of mine for many years. I met at different social events. Larry's a syndicated talk show host and a TV personality. You'd see him quite a bit on Fox and CNN and some of the other shows. He's the one that put it forth to me originally. He was going to write it. And when I read the first couple chapters, I would go back to him and say, Larry, I would never say anything like this. I'm a guy from Chicago. This is not the way people speak in Chicago. And remember, he's from the L.A. Crenshaw district. And remember, he also wrote a bestseller to himself. So it's not like the guy doesn't know how to write. He's a very established writer compared to me, who's an amateur. So we came to the conclusion that I would have to write this. And then in Larry's exact words is, John, people have to hear your voice when they're reading this. So that's how that transpired. Is Executive Hoodlum similar to anything else we may have read? I couldn't really say because most of the books I read tend to be more political books only because I handle government relations for my company. I have read True Crime before only because, unfortunately, I know some of the people that are involved in names and the incidents that I'm familiar with. So I really probably am not very qualified to answer that question. At what age did you decide to break away from the family tradition and pursue your education and career? You know, when I was very young, I mean, I saw guys growing up in the streets of Chicago, and these guys were mostly blue-collar guys. A lot of them were Teamsters, union guys. And I just saw the tough work. I would work on some of these guys' crews on the weekends and sometimes during the week over the summer to make money for school. And I looked at his back-breaking work, and I thought to myself, I sure don't want to do this my whole life. And also, when I saw most of my cousins, for the most part, in some of the neighborhood guys, they would, typical behavior is they have their girlfriend in high school, she would get pregnant, they would end up dropping out and getting a job that I would consider remedial at the time. And that just didn't inspire me at all. I didn't want to go down that road. So that's why I focused on education by seeing what I didn't want to do. Also, there were other events that are described in the book around me, some of the violence in the neighborhood and other situations where I just wanted to get out of there, to be perfectly honest. John, without going into a whole lot of detail, how did the mafia and the outlaw bikers come into play with your family and your life? Well, in terms of the organized crime figures, because my father was associated with those people, so I met them via him. The outlaw bikers also had to do with family because I have members that are in multiple clubs, whether it be the Hells Angels, the outlaws, or the Vagos. So mainly by family and close friends. Your bio speaks of a guy who has definitely been there, done that, one that is equally comfortable with Hollywood royalty, D.C. politicians, and the Chicago guy on the street corner. How would you describe yourself? It's funny because I still maintain relationships with some of the guys that are on, perhaps you'd say, the wrong side of the law. And at the same time, I meet with congressmen and senators. So I would describe myself as very adaptable. That has to be an understatement. So what do you think the senators think when they learn of your history? Well, interestingly enough, I am involved in the government relations, so I do visit and speak on a consistent basis with congressmen and senators. And to be perfectly honest, three or four of them already have a copy of my book and have read it. That's what's easy for me. I don't have to necessarily disclose things out of the gate. So you'd want to disclose that just in case that some information that could come back and bite them. So I make it a point to disclose things. And like I said, now that it's so out in the open, 
In my past, it's very liberating, put it that way. John, I love your book cover. It almost reminds me of the AMC TV series, Mad Men. Who designed this great cover? So I heard that too. I like the idea of walking the tightrope because that's kind of what I did growing up, trying to balance having a foot in two different worlds. So I was helped by one of the marketing guys at the company I work for. So he had a lot of graphics and I gave him kind of a basic idea and he sent me a few different concepts and then I kind of combined them together to make the cover. Do you think there's a chance that Executive Hoodlum could end up on the big screen? Actually, I signed a life rights deal with a Beverly Hills independent filmmaker, a very prominent one, before I even wrote the book. So that's a story in itself. I don't think I get into that in the book itself, but I describe the very trip that I took when I met that gentleman who was an independent film producer. The foreword in Executive Hoodlum is written by Scott Bale. Please tell us a bit about your relationship with Scott and how you met. Funny enough, I met Scott Bale at the Playboy Mansion. He's one of the first guys I met, Italian guy from New York, so we kind of had the same attitude, you know, a little rougher on the edges. Scott's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. We started playing golf together, then I met his family, he met mine, he knew a lot of the guys that I knew, and he's very familiar with my family history. Fast forward, he's a godfather of one of my daughters, and his wife is godmother to my son. So we've become very close over the years, so he's kind of like my extended family here in Southern California, and that's how we met. How did you get into the Hollywood circle, including being a guest of Hugh Hefner? I met Hugh Hefner at the Rainbow Room on Sunset, you know, an iconic place, through his doctor at the time, Dr. Mark Saginar. Dr. Mark was a friend of mine for a few years, and I was going through a little rough time going through a divorce, and knowing how the attitude I had and my, shall we say, my violent tendencies He's the one that said, John, don't do anything rash. You know, you're going to get what you want. Just be patient. And by the way, I want you to meet Hugh Hefner. So it was kind of a surprise to me when he invited me out, not telling me who he was going to introduce me to. And then when I had a conversation with Hugh Hefner, who was a very, very, very gracious man to me and to many others. And when he invited me to his parties, I was absolutely thrilled. So, I mean, that's something that I would never thought of growing up in the streets of Chicago, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I would certainly think so. So, you are currently VP of Business Development and Government Relations for a very large electronics firm. Were they aware of your background, and how did they react to your publishing your memoir? Well, I definitely had to get permission from the board of directors at the time. No, we were just acquired in May of last year for $10.5 billion, so I now work for a larger firm because we're a fully-owned subsidiary, but the previous chairman of the board I had to get approval from, and he knew me, and he knew in my past. In fact, that's really addressed in one of the chapters of the book, where as I was moving up the corporate ladder, that is, the traditional way, he knew a lot of the people that I knew, and there's incidents that are described in the book that he would reel me in, if you will, and say, John, you know, you really have to be able to be able to represent this company well, and you're going to have to keep certain people arm's distance if you want to succeed. So I did take that advice. I didn't shut the door completely because you can't get away from your family sometimes. And that's probably about it. They did get permission, but it was with consequence. What is your life like now? I really enjoy my life. I have two sets of twins. I have a great wife who actually I met at the Playboy Man. She's a small business owner. I have everything probably I ever wanted. And I'm very excited to be in this position considering where I came from. So I feel I'm blessed. I feel that 
this is a great country in which we live in where a person like me is given the opportunity to succeed. So I'm very grateful. John, is there a message in Executive Hoodlum that you want readers to remember? Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to get into a long dialogue on this, but there's a certain part of my life where I came to the conclusion that no matter how bad you have it or how bad you think you have it, there's somebody else a lot worse off. So count your blessings and play the hand you're dealt. Will you please read for us a short excerpt from Executive Hoodlum? Certainly. The sit-down, 1986. I gave myself a 50-50 chance of getting out alive. These were, after all, outfit guys. You got to understand, in New York, they say wise guys. But in Chicago, it's outfit guys. Nobody but nobody in Chicago calls himself a wise guy. It's a dead giveaway that you're from out of town. Technically, it was just a sit-down, meaning a clear-the-air sort of things out meeting with outfit guys I trusted and who trusted me. But this was a convince-or-get-killed deal, and I knew it. They did, too, no matter what lie they told me to guarantee I showed up. Hey, we just want to talk. But what were my options? Run and keep looking over the shoulder the rest of my life? Maybe my father, Maury, could do that. Funny that I was named after him. I'm Johnny Costello Jr., but ever since I was 16 or 17, I referred to my father by his stage name. We were never close. I couldn't have called him dad or father, even if he'd wanted me to. You see, my father had say, let's say, misappropriated $250,000 in outfit money. That's right, outfit money. What kind of outfit guy scams other outfit guys out of a quarter million dollars? Meet Mario Cassini. He scammed the money from a mob-connected bookmaker who had pulled together some outfit guys for my father's investment opportunity. He convinced the bookie that he needed the money to produce a movie about serial killer John Wayne Gacy, and everyone's going to make a bundle of cash. In a word, they were hooked. That is until popular Chicago newsman John Bulldog Drummond, known for his investigative reporting on Chicago organized crime, unwittingly uncovered the scam. Drummond and well-known journalist Bill Curtis disclosed the story on the local news. Focusing on the local businessman my father took down and going on the assumption my father was working with the Chicago outfit on the caper. But neither Drummond nor Curtis realized that the mob had also been victimized by my father. The mob investors knew it only too well, beaten out of their money, scammed like some clueless mark. But where was my father? Who knew? Not here. Probably got the hell out of town just in time. And with him gone, so far as the outfit guys were concerned, this left just one question. Was the kid involved? Wow. So, John, where can we learn more about you, and where can we purchase Executive Hoodlum negotiating on the corner of Maine and Mean? Yeah, I have a website. Just look up Executive Hoodlum. A lot of stuff will come up about not only my background as an author, but also my career background. That's going to pop up as well. So far, so good. Got a lot of good reviews. So I'm really looking forward to the film aspect of this. A little bit on the nervous side, though, because I'm not very experienced in this market space. John, I can't remember a time when I've talked with a more interesting author. I have a feeling that we could go on for a lot longer and still retain our audience's attention. Thank you so much for sharing your book and your life with us. Personally, I can't wait to read Executive Hoodlum. If you ever decide to write another book, will you please come back and chat with us again? I may have to. i got other things going on. (laughs) (laughs) Executive Hoodlum will appeal to those interested in true crime stories mob activity, murder and mayhem, as well as anyone seeking a no-holds-barred story that describes the resilience of the human spirit. John Costello's story touches our hearts while keeping us on the edge of our seats. That was an excerpt from the back cover of John's book, and I do hope it's a good incentive for you to start reading it now. And I thank you for listening. 
The Author Show podcast may be accessed at any time by visiting theauthorshow.com. Plus, selected interviews can also be found on podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and many more. Are you an author who would like to be featured on our show? Please visit theauthorshow.com and complete the interview request form so that we may contact you. Marketing is seldom easy for authors, and The Author Show is a great way to promote your work worldwide using a high-quality interview that can make a real impact for you. Please visit our site daily as we continue to introduce wonderful authors of very interesting books on The Author Show. Thanks for listening to The Author Show. Find out more about authors and their work at theauthorsshow.com. Theauthorsshow.com. Tune in next time to another great author on The Author Show.